So, I want to start today by telling you the story of my wife's great act of rebellion. My wife's great act of rebellion. It happened when she was very young. She peaked as a rebel at about five years old. Her parents had what they called a sad chair. Now, I don't know if any of the parents out here have made use of a sad chair. If my parents had had a sad chair, I would have thought that was wonderful because I would have felt like I was getting away with something pretty easily. But for Lisa, just the knowledge that what she had done was wrong was usually more than, all, more than what was needed to bring repentance, right? But, but Lisa's parents had a sad chair. And one day when she was about five years old, Lisa ate dinner far too slowly. She was told she was supposed to eat, and she did not eat as she was told to. So it was time for her to go to the sad chair. Now, she felt indignant about this because she did not feel like it was fair. And so, now that the details of this story have been lost to history, but as I've been able to, to piece together what I have, it went something like this. Lisa went to the sad chair, and she stood and I imagine her crossing her arms like this with, a, with an angry look on her face. And her dad said, you need to sit down. And so I picture her sitting down very slowly. And then she says these words, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Sitting on the outside, but standing on the inside. Very profound thought for a five-year-old. Now, if you, may, if you didn't guess it, rebellion is what we are talking about today. I had to go back to five years old to find a good rebellious story about Lisa. Now, the book of Proverbs has a lot of words that describe rebellion against God. But the most common one by far is the word wicked. We most often use the word sin, but Proverbs prefers wickedness. Now, it may surprise you to find out that a book written about wisdom has a great deal to say about wickedness, or its opposite, righteousness. It certainly surprised me. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom. We all know that, right? In fact, the word wisdom shows up a hundred times in Proverbs. And then if you take together all the times that, that something is said to be like wisdom, so all of its synonyms, or all the times you're told not to do something that's, that's foolish, all of the antonyms, right? Then you get 333 times in the book of Proverbs that wisdom is spoken of. I said before, I think that number is probably on purpose, and no, I don't think it means anything. But when it comes to righteousness, this is interesting, though. The book of Proverbs talks about it, one of its synonyms, or one of the opposites, 555 times, nearly twice as often. Now, I wrestled with this. What exactly does this mean? And I think that the answer is this, and it's our summer, sermon summary this morning. It's a mouthful, and I apologize for that, but here it is. Living well, and remember, that's our definition of wisdom, right? Living well. Living well means accepting the gracious forgiveness of God and pursuing the righteousness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Living well means accepting the gracious forgiveness of God 
and pursuing the righteousness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I discovered this about the book of Proverbs, I was very curious. And as I wrestled through it, I I noticed a few things that were interesting. Proverbs spends a lot more time, and it's a lot more descriptive about what is wicked than about what is righteous. Here's what I mean. If you take all the descriptions of righteousness in the book of Proverbs and you put them together, you would sum up the teaching of the book of Proverbs as something like this. The wise teacher calls for a student to be righteous, prudent, fair, loving, blameless, faithful, peaceful, and self-controlled. Right? About half a dozen descriptions of righteousness. And the reason for that is because Keep what we're supposed to keep our eye on is not hard to find. But you'll know if you've been living the life of faith for very long that the ways that you can step off of the trail are numerous. And so there's a much longer description about what you're not supposed to be or do. I had some fun putting this list together. So you could sum up the the message of Proverbs on what not to do this way. Don't be wicked, sinful, evil, hateful, mocking, perverse, wrong, unfaithful, envious, corrupt, deceitful, sluggish, malicious, haughty, arrogant, lazy, dishonorable, unjust, oppressive, hot-headed, quick-tempered, greedy, gluttonous, furious, brawling, or a scoundrel. If anyone wants to put that on a t-shirt, I'd find that fascinating. It wouldn't be a good bumper sticker, but it could be a great t-shirt. And that all these ideas flush out this idea of wickedness or this idea of rebellion. These are all the ways that we can turn away from our Lord. Descriptions of many ways for us to do that. Now, about rebellion. God is perfect. He's complete. He's holy and righteous. And he calls us to become this way as well. And the standard of God's expectations are clear to all of us. We all sense them very deeply. We all know that it's wrong to lie, to steal, to do harm. We all know that if we behave in a way that harms the people around us, that falls short of God's standard, then we've done something wrong. We all have this internal barometer for sin. Now, if you don't believe me, if you think that that we don't have that kind of an internal barometer, I want to challenge you to think about young children. I think it's easiest for us to see there. Now, young children often don't live up to a very high standard. But if another child sins against them in some way, they know that what happened is wrong and they're very, very upset. If you want to know if we have an internal barometer for what's wrong, take a toy away from a child or have another child push one over or say something mean. Immediately, we're aware Something wrong has happened. Now, that continues throughout life. The sinfulness of other people is usually very, very clear to us. If you lie to me, I know it's wrong. If you harm me, I know it's wrong. But because we are fallen, because we are twisted up by sin, it's much harder for us to detect in our own heart what's wrong. We are very very good at making excuses for ourselves. And that leads us to our passage today. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 to 27. They're going to be up here, but I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and open to those passages because we're going to go back through it line by line. 
Proverbs 4, 23 to 27. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left and keep your foot from evil. Now there is a pull inside of all of us toward rebellion. Now rebellion looks differently for each of us. The wickedness, the temptation we're drawn to is different for each of us. Using Proverbs list that I mentioned a moment ago, some of us are more likely to struggle with infidelity or envy or deceit or malice or arrogance or laziness, anger, greed, gluttony. Most likely, if you know yourself well, you know your sin struggle is in one of those. And you most likely have more than one. Now, Proverbs is telling us that we have to resist that pull, that we have to resist the call of rebellion. We have to resist the impulse of wickedness within us. Now, I want you to hear something, and this is so very important. You can resist temptation all you want. You can be nearly perfect in your resistance. You can avoid the draw of every sinful desire you have, and that's never going to be enough. You are not and cannot be good enough to save yourself. Remember, sin is like a disease, and we are infected with it. Just because you hold in a sneeze does not mean you don't have a cold. Just because the symptoms of the disease, you're able to resist you are still sick, and you will never be able to resist all of the pulls we have towards our rebellion. Sin is a disease. It's passed on from every parent to every child. No matter how good you are, you have a seed, a core of wickedness in your heart, and it needs to be replaced by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need him. And there is no way for us to be so well-behaved or so resistant to temptation that we ever stop needing him. And when we accept that Jesus is real and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we ask for his forgiveness and we repent. And that means we fix our eyes, the eyes of our heart on him, and we strive to follow him and live the life he calls us to. When we do that, then we're adopted into his family. We're destined to be with him forever, and we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gets to work, replacing that core of sin and wickedness with his goodness and righteousness. And I want to use the verses from our text this morning to talk through why righteousness is still important. We can never save ourselves, but it is still so very important. So we're going to go through Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. First, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Pastor Ben has a, a, a saying that has always stuck with me, and it's this, you don't ever get away with it. 
See, a lot of the times we're led to the, the deception that if we sin in a way that nobody perceives or nobody knows about, then really no harm has been done. But you see, that doesn't work with the command to guard your heart, and here's why. If you think about the, the illness, the, the, the infection of sin as an actual infection, sure, we have received the Holy Spirit, we are being cured of it. But every act that we take that we know violates God's standard, every sin aggravates that infection. In other words, when I sin, whether it's, it's visible to other people or whether it's hidden, it becomes easier for me to do that again. My character is formed by the actions that I take. And over time, a sin, even one done in secret, forms my heart in a direction I do not want it to go. We never get away with it. Above all else, we're called here to guard our heart. Verse 24, keep your mouth free of perversity and keep corrupt talk from your lips. You see, the actions of righteousness aren't enough. You can't just do good things because the heart is the issue. Remember, just because you're not sneezing does not mean you don't have the disease. It would be easy for many of us to just say the right things all the time. And maybe that's you as you sit here today. You know what the right actions are. You know that you, you're supposed to come to church, right? And you're supposed to read your Bible and you're supposed to say the right words. But in your heart, there hasn't been a change. That doesn't work. The actions of righteousness are not enough. Even if we're sitting on the outside, as long as we're standing on the inside, we're still in sin. But, and this is important, it works both ways. That idea of our heart being formed by the actions we take works both ways. When by the prompting and pull and power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to do the thing that I'm called to do. I say the kind word rather than the angry one. I give instead of hoard. I am generous instead of a thief. In those moments, even though I want to do the opposite, whatever your struggle is, when I do what I am called to do, the Holy Spirit uses that and begins to work. Fortunately, we are blessed that the Spirit does not wait for us to have pure motives because if we are honest, deeply in our core, honest, our motives are almost never pure. We get something. There's a selfish peace even when we do things that are good. But the Holy Spirit uses the action and it gets easier to do the next time. So the verse here says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. You know that, that word that you're thinking about saying and you know you ought not to and you bite it back. Maybe you're about to lose your temper and you're going to let that person know exactly what you think, but you know it comes from a place of sinful anger and you hold it in and you release it later elsewhere. 
that action gets easier next time too. The things that we do have a formation effect on our heart, either by the power of the Spirit building us up into who He wants us to be, like Him, or that infection gaining ground. It can never pull us away from our Lord, but we can be formed in a direction we don't want to be. Of course, it's best to obey joyfully, but it's better to obey grudgingly than to disobey. Even if you're standing on the inside, it's better to sit on the outside. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. It's interesting, repentance is often talked about as turning away from something. And while that's not totally untrue, it's not, it's not as accurate as we would want it to be. You see, repentance is about turning toward Jesus. It's about turning toward him. So the idea is I keep my focus on him. I remember he is real and he is there and he has called me to follow him. And I keep my eyes on him. Now eventually... I will struggle. Some voice on the side of the path will call to me. Whatever the voice you struggle with most is, there are times you're going to stumble. And we turn away, right? And we get caught up. Repentance is when we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, say no. And we turn back to him. We're called to keep our eyes directly before us in the book of Proverbs. But we know the better way to say that is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Verses 26 and 27, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left and keep your foot from evil. It is absolutely true that none of us are perfect and none of us are ever going to be able to live in a way that is without stumbling, without sin, not on this side of heaven. 